Hey, it's Vadim from the DIY Recording Guys. A couple of quick notes. DIY Recording Guys are now on Instagram. You can check us out at DIY Recording Guys. We post little tips and tricks. We also post kind of like little Cliff's Notes slides of the week's episode. So the little bite-sized shareable bits of wisdom you can save and share with your friends. You can call them Riff's Notes if you prefer guitar-based puns like I do. Secondly, we've just released a free resource to our Facebook community. This is a smart goal setting tool kind of designed for DIY musicians. And basically, the, the this is going to help you take your ideas and actually finish them and release them. Because we know from experience, Ben and I know how hard this can be to close out songs, to actually finish them. And this tool is something that uh, I use all the time in my personal life and for music. We wanted to make it available to the community. Eventually, we're going to probably make it available to everyone. Right now, it's kind of like the beta phase, so it's just available for the Facebook group. But the Facebook group is available for everyone. Just go on Facebook, search for DIY Recording Guys, and you'll see a link to it as well as a video of me demonstrating it and kind of going through an example of how to use it. Finally, if you haven't yet, check out my free DIY recording ebook. Just go to howtorecordyourband.com. And listen, I know how it is with these free PDFs online. You know, you sign up, you download them. It ends up being like a page or two of bullet points of stuff you already pretty much knew. This is not that. This is, <laughs> it took me a couple of months to write this. It's like over 60 or 70 pages worth of information. A lot of it is similar to the first couple of episodes of this podcast. And I was actually going to sell it for a couple of bucks, but I decided at the end of the day to just give it away and try to get it to as many people as I could. So check that out. This week's episode is about MIDI. MIDI, if you're unfamiliar with it or if you're confused by it, is probably one of the most powerful tools at the disposal of a DIY musician or DIY producer working out of a home studio. It's incredibly powerful and... I was intimidated by it for many years, as you'll hear in this episode. We're going to, in the first part of this episode, explain exactly what it is and what it isn't and kind of ground ground you in the basic concepts of what information is actually included in a MIDI file. Then we get into a bit of a deep dive talking about how to program MIDI, how to work with it, how to edit it. We talk about some best practices for both composing and for mixing. We talk a lot about humanizing performances and specifically humanizing drum performances. And we talk about the limits of MIDI, kind of where where do we reach the point where MIDI can no longer be an effective tool possibly. And we talk about some interesting uses for MIDI that you may not have considered, How specifically how Ben and I have incorporated MIDI into both our songwriting and our recording workflows. We hope you enjoy it. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right. Welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys. I'm your host, Fadim Karaz from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Ben Hall from DreamLot Studio. Happy to bring you another episode today. Yes, yes. Today is one of those episodes where I hope you don't yell at me for getting 
getting too in the weeds. <laughs> getting, I hope you don't have to get your calculus book for this one. But today, uh, today we're talking about MIDI. MIDI is something that I was. I want to hear your, your story too, because I imagine it's it's similar. I, I was really intimidated by the concept of MIDI for many years, and then even when I wasn't intimidated by it, I felt like I didn't understand it or I underestimated what it was like my i remember my my first experience with midi was as a kid i would get this catalog called musician's friend Mm. and i would just i couldn't afford anything in there but i would just flip through it because it was nice to look at you know pictures of 800 hundred dollar guitars and stuff like that so one thing that jumped out at me was they had these they had midi controllers and then they had keyboards and the two things looked exactly the same but the midi controllers were like you know, a third of the the price of a of a keyboard, and I was like, "That's that's weird. It looks exactly the same." So that was like my first run in with it. And then years later, when I under- started to better understand what it was, I kind of associated MIDI with like Nintendo sounds. Huh. I associated MIDI as like being really kind of like lo-fi, eight-bit sounding stuff. If it was like, "Oh, that's MIDI drums," it was like because it sounded very kind of robotic and lo-fi. What, what was your experience with MIDI? This is going to sound hilarious, but I can remember being, I had to be like eight or 10, some really, really young. And I remember my mom played piano on our church um, uh, worship band. And the leader of the worship band was really into technology. And uh, henceforth, he was into recording his own music and MIDI and stuff like that. And I can remember going over to his house with my mom and he was showing her this program on his, what would it be back then? Like an Apple computer, like a black and white Apple computer. And he was showing how he could program his MIDI notes using this keyboard into the computer and it would play back the sounds. And I remember simultaneously being just so mind blown by the technology of, wait, I can play something on a keyboard and the computer like can capture that. And also thinking this is way too tedious and stupid because it's like black and white. <laughs> you know? and, like this is amazing. I don't know. It was like amazing technology, but at the same time, like it sounded so like the sounds coming out of it were so like cheesy that I'm like, well, that's really cool. Exactly. It can do this, but it's, it's, I don't know what the point is. Like, it's not cool to me whatsoever. Right, exactly. I think that's part of the problem is so so MIDI, first of all, in this episode, we're going to explain to you why MIDI is going to be your best friend if you're producing (laughs) out of a home studio. It really is probably one of the most powerful tools you can have at your disposal because it really just opens up an infinite number of options, and we'll talk about why. Mm -hmm. But So MIDI just has a background was invented in, I think, around the 80s. And it was basically people trying to control hardware synths with other hardware synths, right? So they were thinking, like, can I use one synth to control multiple synths? And so to do that, they invented MIDI, which MIDI is basically like a language. So to say, like, well, MIDI is like lo-fi or 8-bit is is to say, like, well, English is for cartoons, Right. It's not for cart. You could use English for cartoons or for Shakespeare. Like it's just a language, right? So that's kind of like the situation with MIDI. And the way I like to explain it, I have a little, I have a prop. People aren't going to be able to see it, but they're going to be able to hear it. 
This is a little uh, little music box. I love these little things. So what this is, I'm going to play it and see if the microphone picks it up, but it's basically got a little like metal comb-looking thing on it with little metallic strips that are different length. And so each one, if you kind of strike it, it makes a little bit of a different pitch. Like the shorter ones have a higher pitch and the longer ones have a lower pitch. So it's like a little mini piano. And then it's got this cylinder on it with different bumps, kind of like... If you ever seen like an old like player piano, the pl- the pianos that play themselves, mm-hmm. and then it has a little crank on it. So when I turn the crank, uh, the cylinder rotates, and the little bumps kind of pluck the little metallic strips. I'm gonna see if the microphone picks this up, and then I hope we don't get sued by Ringo Starr for this. But So that's cool. Hey Jude, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if the mic picked that up. But the reason I think this is a nice analogy for MIDI is because if you think about this this device, there's three main things going on here. There's the little comb-looking thing that has the metallic strips. That's kind of like a piano. That's an instrument. And then there's this cylinder with bumps on it, which is kind of like encoded. It's programmed on this device, on this one that I have to play Hey Jude. That's the the bumps on it are arranged in such a way that they will play Hey Jude on this little instrument. And then the final piece is the crank, which I need to turn. That's kind of like my, my input into this device. And so this is, if it's to translate this into MIDI, we, the, the MIDI portion of this is the cylinder with bumps on it, right? The cylinder in and of itself does not make any noise, but it has information encoded in it. It's programmed for a certain song. The comb, the little metallic strip thing, that's our instrument. It's like a virtual instrument. And then the crank is kind of like the computer. That's what puts the two things together and kind of allows you to marry up the cylinder with the instrument to make sound. So if you learn nothing else from this episode, the most important thing is that MIDI in and of itself does not make any sound. It does Mm -hmm. not have any audio information embedded in it. But it's basically a language or a program that you can use to then plug into various virtual instruments to make various sounds. So if you picture this like if I had a little comb that sounded differently, I could put this same cylinder to that comb and get a different sounding Hey Jude, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of like the visual analogy for MIDI. So when you're thinking about, okay, what is a MIDI file? A MIDI file, if you send it to somebody, it's just like sending them the cylinder. They won't be able to play it. They won't be able to get it to make any sounds without plugging it into a virtual instrument. So I'm going to open that up for you, Ben. Any, any comments on that? Is that clear enough? That's a great analogy. I, I love it. And I think that that's, that's a really good point that it's just in a language in and of itself. You still need a voice box, you know, air quote, voice box to play that language. Um, I think that's how I got, I can remember whenever I first started writing songs and music, I would use the MIDI language um, encoded into Cakewalk to build my drums, but I didn't realize that's Mm -hmm. what I was doing. So I would export that file or I'd copy and paste that file thinking that, oh, I could play it somewhere else. And then I would double click on it and I could see the .MIDI extension or whatever it is and nothing would play or your computer would say, uh, this file can't be read and being so confused by what's happening here. I thought this was a drum file, but no, it turns out <laughs> that you actually need an instrument that can read, you know, software that can read that MIDI file and reproduce it. 
Right. Exactly. And I think this is why people our age, not to date ourselves, I'm, <laughs> even a, I'm a little bit older than you are, but I think this is why people our age sometimes associate MIDI with a certain type of sound is because that's what we were used to hearing growing up. And again, the analogy is like, if you only watched cartoons and then you were like, yeah, English is, is for cartoons. And then later in life, you heard something like a poem and you were like, wow, that's also English. So interesting. Yes, it's just a language. You can trigger different things with it. And I think back in the day, they just we didn't have as hi-fi sounds available on computers to be able to trigger something like real drum samples, which yeah. is one of the things that I do in my studio all the time now is I use MIDI to trigger real drum samples, and I'm going to show an example of that. So if you think about, let's talk about what information is encoded in a MIDI file. So we talked about a MIDI file is basically like a little computer program in a little language. What information is actually encoded in that file? And a convenient way to think about this is to think about that origin of MIDI of like, okay, I'm trying to get one synth to control another synth. And so I like to think about like, if I had a robot that could follow my commands and I wanted to get the robot to play a song on a keyboard, what information would I have to give that robot? And if you think about it, you can kind of boil it down to four main components. The first thing you'd have to tell the robot is which keys to press on the keyboard. That's important. Then you have to tell the robot how hard to press them. That's velocity. Then you have to tell the robot when to start pressing the keys and then when to stop pressing the keys. And if you kind of take a moment to think about those four pieces of information, it's a lot of information embedded in just those four parameters. Uh, there's some other things in MIDI like modulation effects and things like that. Uh, but in general, it's really those four things. Just with those four pieces of information, you could get a robot to play any song on any keyboard, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the four bits of information that are kind of embedded into a MIDI file. All right, so with that said, let's talk about how we can program and edit MIDI. And I'll let you start here, Ben. So we, we, we know what it is now. Let's start talking about how we create a MIDI file. How would you go about creating a MIDI file? Normally, so it, it differs a little bit based on what application I'm, I'm using it for. A lot of times, similar to you, I'm using MIDI to create a drum beat. Um, normally when I'm producing or when I'm songwriting, it's so much easier and quicker and less noisy <laughs> to just create a drum beat in a virtual instrument in, in my DAW than it is to try to set up mics and record a full drum set. Now, I love the sound of a recorded acoustic drum set, but for writing purposes and just figuring out what's going on, it's quicker and easier on my hearing to just do that in the studio, well, in my little control room using a MIDI keyboard and virtual instruments than it is to go through the whole process of miking up things and, and figuring out what I'm playing. So what I have in my studio is I have a couple different MIDI controllers, but you don't actually even need a MIDI controller. You can actually uh, create, I don't know how it looks in Pro Tools, but in Studio One, you can create a block of MIDI that can be read by your virtual instrument and then um, bring up a screen that kind of shows the whole keyboard, the 88 keys on a keyboard. And then based off of mouse clicks and dragging and shortening, you can determine 
when in the time scale of beginning and end to your song, what notes you want to play, what notes you don't want to play, how long you want them to be held for. And that can be a little bit of a weird concept whenever it comes to drums, because a drum is an instantaneous hit and then it decays from there. There's no such thing as sustain with drums. Uh, but forgetting that feature right there, you can select all your velocities. You know, how hard do you want your kick drum to be hit? How quietly do you want your cymbals to be hit? And that can all just be done with um, mouse and keyboard, but you can also plug in a MIDI controller like a lot of us have. I have uh, two. I have a Axiom 25, which is a 25-key keyboard, and um, I can easily create any drum beat with that and even simple melodies. It gets a little bit harder if you want to capture a full keyboard performance with that. So that's why you would want more keys. But for just simple things, that's all that you need. Just hook up a MIDI controller, um, go through the steps in your DAW to configure that so that your DAW knows how to read or knows where to look for um, whatever device you plug in. And then it's basically at that point, like just playing an instrument. Yeah, with the caveat that, so... This goes back to why in that Musician's Friend catalog, why MIDI controllers were so much cheaper than keyboards is because a MIDI controller, because MIDI doesn't have any audio information embedded in it, a MIDI controller doesn't have a sound bank in it typically. So you can't use that MIDI controller by itself to generate sounds. The only way you can get a MIDI controller to generate a sound is by, again, is by having it as an input into a virtual instrument. So... Yes, in general, a MIDI controller, you could think of it as like a keyboard. And in fact, most keyboards you have, if they have a USB output, they can probably be used as a MIDI controller. So take a look at that. Because there, there is a special type of connector called a MIDI connector, which is somewhat obsolete now. Most, most MIDI controllers are using USB now that I've seen. And you're right, Ben, if you, if you load up, like in Pro Tools, I would create a new instrument track and... I can record MIDI onto that instrument track even without having a virtual instrument loaded up, but I won't be able to hear any sound. I'll just be able to see kind of the MIDI notes that I'm, mm -hmm. that I'm playing. But if I can also load in any kind of virtual instrument, and then I can get that feedback, the audio feedback from my MIDI controller, and I can play my MIDI controller like an instrument. I have a similar situation where I have like a larger synth. I don't know how many keys on it are exactly. I think it's about the half probably about 44 keys on it mm. that I use if I want to play like two-handed piano parts. And then on my desk, I have a really small MIDI controller called an MPK Mini, which has really nice drum pads on it that I use for, uh, for drum programming. And the cool thing about MIDI is that if you were recording, even you might say like, well, I have a keyboard, why don't I just record kind of with a keyboard, you might have two options. You can record the audio output from the keyboard directly as an audio file, or you can record MIDI from that keyboard and then have a MIDI file. And you might think, well, why wouldn't I just record the keyboard sound? And it's kind of like, if you're recording the audio, it's kind of like using a typewriter, right? You're kind of committing <laughs> to yeah. the sound or the text that, that's, uh, that you're getting out of that device. Whereas if you're recording MIDI, it's kind of like, typing into a word processor. The advantage is that in the word processor, you can go back and edit things. You can change words. You can take words. Uh, you can correct spelling mistakes. So with a MIDI controller, you'll be able to go in and like if you played a wrong note, 
in the MIDI performance, you can physically grab that note and just drag it into the right place. You can adjust little timing issues. And one of the best features is that you can change the virtual instrument without changing the MIDI file if you wanted to. So like very commonly when I program drums, I'll just pull up generic drum sounds, you know, the cheesiest drum kit I have because it doesn't matter. I program my kick snare patterns. I program my hi-hat patterns and so on. Then when I'm ready to commit to tones, I will pull up my high quality drum samples and the MIDI file is already there. Now I can just drop in good sounding samples and have that drum kit sound that I want. True. I found this out the hard way. Um, probably the Probably my only regret with stuff that I've bought for the studio, but I could still use it, so I guess that's not a regret, but just learn the hard way. Um, the most expensive instrument that I own is a Korg Chrome. It's a synthesizer workstation keyboard, and it's got basically any sound that you could ever imagine built into it. And it's awesome. It can do anything. It can do drums. It can do pianos. It can do synths. You can do automations on all of the reverb settings and the uh, the release of the keys, and it, it's amazing. It's a really nice instrument, but I bought it with the intention of thinking that, well, I'm going to be using this in my studio, so I want a big sound bank of all these different sounds that I can, you know, choose from or use as synth pads, or if I want a keyboard part, then I can. Uh, program those sounds into, or not program, but play those song or sounds and record them in my songs and stuff like that. So that was my intention. Very quickly after buying this, I plugged it in and figured out how to hook up everything. And there was two ways to hook it up. I could either send the the stereo outputs, line inputs, and just record the internal tones, or I could hook it up via USB and do the same thing or just send the MIDI information and control it using virtual instruments. And what I found out very quickly is that MIDI was so much faster. MIDI and virtual instruments was so much faster to pick tones and change tones that I wanted. And plus you have that other caveat of not having to commit to anything. Um, also the flexibility of being able to play multiple parts and going back and forth between them and not having to change settings in your keyboard and remember, and oh, I like that I like that tone, so I need to save that in a program bank in my keyboard so I don't forget it. And so regardless of if this is a studio or live application, MIDI is just so much more flexible. And not to mention flexible, it's so much cheaper. I have a vast amount of virtual instrument libraries in my computer. And I think maybe total I've spent a thousand, maybe $1,500 on all these libraries, which, you know, that sounds like a lot of money. It's not, it's not chump change, but my keyboard workstation was nearly $2,000, 1800 bucks. And I have so many more sounds worth of virtual instruments in my computer that that I can choose from that are just software and MIDI and I can easily switch between versus kind of like an antiquated technology by this point with my workstation. So 
yeah. when you compare when you compare the two. Unfortunately, I found that out the hard way, but I think it was because I was coming from this place of when I when I was growing up and learning instruments, it was all acoustically based because I was classically trained as a uh, piano player whenever I was a kid, and so there's a direct correlation between when I physically press a key, this is the sound that comes out. And it took me a long time to learn that, oh, with technology and computers, we can route things in very unique ways so that it has nothing, almost nothing to do with the instrument that I have. I can have a completely different tone on the other end of things and a completely different quality. And that's the yeah. the power that MIDI gives you. It, it Basically, um, using a cheap controller, you can unlock like these unbelievable sounds and libraries that's true now i I will say i have a somewhat a similar situation where i i bought an um m audio venom which is which is like a hardware type synth and it's got i bought it because i it had some awesome sounds on it and um I MIDI is the thing to think about MIDI is also it's it's bi-directional. So what I will do sometimes is I will program a MIDI file, but then I will use the MIDI file to drive my hardware synth, and then I'll record the audio out of the hardware synth. Mm. And the reason I like to do that is first of all because it's got some cool tones on it, which you're right, you could totally emulate those tones with a virtual instrument. But it's also got a bunch of knobs and expression wheels and stuff like that that I can while the MIDI is playing back. I can modulate those things and play with them and get kind of like a more organic or unique performance than just having MIDI. And it's not to say that you can't do all of that with virtual instruments because you totally can. But it gives me a nice creative element to like, this is a once, this is a one of a kind performance. I might get something crazy, some kind of crazy delay sound that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And I do still like to do that occasionally. So I'll, again, I could just, do a live performance and record it, but I don't. I actually record the MIDI, but then I use the MIDI to drive the hardware synth and record the audio coming out of it. That's a cool application. I like that. Very cool. It's a bit, it takes a bit of setting up because it's not 100% intuitive how to get that MIDI coming out of your computer to drive the synth, but um, it took me a little bit to figure that out, but you can uh, watch some YouTube videos and stuff like that if mm. you're interested in it. It gives you some some cool flexibility and you could also do crazy stuff like you can use guitar pedals, right? You can <laughs> you can do all kinds of crazy stuff to a hardware synth. So some things to consider. Yeah, so we talked about MIDI controllers, and really anything can be a MIDI controller. I mean, again, the way to think about a MIDI controller is it's just a way to record those four parameters we talked about if we were trying to get a robot to play a keyboard. And one program I mentioned to you offline that I love a lot is, let me find it here, MIDI Guitar 2. There's also a MIDI Bass 2. I bought these as a package together. And what they do is they let you transform your guitar or your bass into a MIDI controller. And it works remarkably well, even for chords. So like for me, guitar is my primary instrument. For more complex parts, like chords, seventh chords, things like that. It's, a lot of times it's easier for me to pick parts out that I want when composing on the guitar than it is for me to do it on a keyboard. I can just, I can see the guitar neck better, right? I can understand keys and modes and scales and things because that's what I was kind of trained on. This program allows me to play the guitar and record the output as a MIDI file. 
mm-hmm. which I can then use in Pro Tools, again, to load any kind of virtual instrument I want, even drums. You can play a drum part out on a guitar and then use that to trigger drums if you wanted to. So that gives you some uh, some nice options. That's really cool. That's a unique way of of looking at it. So how does it know where... And I know you had this mentioned in your notes, Vadim, but about the piano roll, the way that the way that MIDI is set up, it's basically reflects an 88 key piano, which is a full sized piano. Right. So how do you associate your bottom string on a guitar with the E that it knows to look for? Or can you can you set your bottom string to be whatever in MIDI? Yeah, you can you can program in some offsets, but it actually the program actually has a tuner in it. Oh, okay. And even like a like a poly two, I don't know what it's called, but it's a type of tuner where like you can strum all the strings at once, and it'll show you which what each one is and whether it's sharp or flat. Mm. So it's like polyphonic like that. And what it does is it just knows based on the frequency you're playing, it just maps that onto the piano roll, which again like. The way to think about a piano roll, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, is is um, that's how you would edit MIDI. So on the vertical section of the piano roll, you have your 88 keys, and then you kind of, the time axis is the X axis. So yeah. you can kind of see your notes in time and you can adjust their lengths and all these things. So the nice thing about it is, let's say it maps it in a way that sounded good on the guitar, but I'm using that to drive a synth. And on the synth, I want to be an octave lower or an octave higher. Well, that's very easy to fix in MIDI, right? Because you just grab all those MIDI notes and just drag them down, you know, um, mm-hmm. an octave basically or up an octave. And you can you can do that kind of thing uh, very quickly with MIDI, which is why it's convenient as well. Uh, the other benefit too of using MIDI for performances is that, um, especially in the case of Vadim or I, and your, your piano skills are not up to snuff as maybe your guitar skills are, you can record right. a part and then do something called quantizing. So you can tell the computer to automatically either um, time shift everything directly to the grid or a percentage of closer to the grid. So if your performance is out of time a little bit, you could still retain a little bit of the humanity in your playing by choosing a percentage of quantization and that's normally what I do. I'll pick like anywhere from 25 to 75%. Or if you want it to be smack dab right on the beats, then you can just quantize 100%. Yeah, and there is there is a little bit of an art to uh, getting your MIDI, especially if you're programming it just using the computer. Because you can, you can literally start with a blank piano roll, and like you said, you can just draw in notes. One of the you can kind of hear when people do this. Like, for example, on a real keyboard, you would never play a chord hitting every note at the exact same time, right? You would be, there would be slight differences in timing between the notes, even in a chord. Mm-hmm. And that those types of little elements are useful when you're trying to program a realistic sounding MIDI performance. If all those five notes that you're playing with your fingers hit at the same exact time, it's going to sound very kind of robotic, even if you're using even if you're triggering real piano note samples. So yeah, there's there's definitely little tricks there. Quantizing exactly to the grid very rarely will give you what you want, but I like what you said there where you can most DAWs let you adjust how close you get, and they'll just nudge things a little bit closer than you were able to play them, especially than I was able to play them. That's very helpful for me. 
and you so you can do this that's kind of an automatic process where you can say quantize me a little bit closer or you can do physically you can do it manually too you can just go note by note and view your grid and kind of drag things around as well yeah so i'll use normally the way i go about things especially for drums is i'll play my drum part i'll quantize it 100% to the grid and then after the fact i'll use the humanizer function and that will and I normally only use just a little bit, normally like 2%, and it will just move the notes around just a little bit to make it sound a little bit less like a machine and a little bit more human. And the reason I do that is because a lot of times, especially if it's um, more of a technical metal type of a genre, is I'll use the drums that are completely 100% quantized to the click I'll use that to track along to because I know that it's 100% in time. And then after yes. I'm done tracking everything is then whenever I introduce some of those human elements. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and actually, even we can talk about some humanizing techniques since we're talking about it. That's certainly one, is right? A, a drummer would never play something perfectly to the grid. There's always little fluctuations. That gives things a bit of a human feel. Mm-hmm. Another one is a big one, maybe even bigger one, is velocity. A lot of times when you're, especially when you're drawing stuff in, but even when you're playing it on a controller, I find that for me the velocities are all over the place because first of all, the controller only has like three different velocity steps or four <laughs> different velocity steps in it. So, and a lot of times I'm playing like hard with my fingers. So yeah. everything comes in at 127, which is the maximum velocity level. And that would be the equivalent of a drummer hitting every single drum physically as hard as they could every <laughs> single time. And guess, you know who else would do that? A robot, a drumming robot. And that's what you're going to get. You're going to get kind of that machine gun type of sound, which almost never is desirable. So playing with velocities is a great way to humanize those things. So you may want like a higher velocity on the one, for example. Or a lot of times when I program a double kick pattern... I'll even think about, I think about what a drummer would physically be doing. Mm -hmm. First of all, a drummer only has four limbs. So if you have five drum hits, you have <laughs> some kind of octopus drummer, that's going to sound wrong. It's just going right. to sound wrong. Another thing is I even think about the like, well, a drummer would have one of their legs would be stronger than the other leg. So I think about like a, a fast double kick pattern. I might have like, okay, the right leg is a stronger leg. It's a right-handed drummer. I'm going to make every other velocity hit a little bit higher. Those types of things will really help to kind of humanize um, the performance a little bit. What are some of your humanization tricks? I think a lot. Other than the, uh, the quantize one. Yeah, so a couple of different things I wind up doing a lot. And this is some advice for listeners out there. So get to know your virtual instruments. And we're talking about drums in particular, but I'd love to talk about some other instruments as well. Um, I found out whenever I was programming, I use Get Good Drums a lot by Nolly Get Good and Misha. Um, I, I love the sound of those drums because they're they're kind of highly produced sample uh, drum libraries, but they also are very focused on having that natural drum tone to them. They're not like a lot of these other packages out there, which still sound good, but they're I feel like they're just a little bit more overproduced. But... Anyways, um, that being said, when I was programming with those samples, I noticed a lot of the time that my snare hits always sounded weird to me <laughs> when I was programming. And I found out by reading the manual that 
the hardest velocity, I think it's maybe 110 up to 125. All of those hardest hits are rim shots. So it's actually a sample of a drummer hitting the drum and with the side of his stick hitting the rim of the snare simultaneously. That's what a rim shot is. It's like the loudest thing that a drummer can play. And I found that super helpful to find out that information because that means that my hardest hits when I'm programming them are going to be below that level. And only my extremely hard hits where I want to make an accent, I'm going to make the rim shots because it doesn't sound natural for a drummer to be hitting a rim shot for every single hit, especially if it's a fast drum fill. Like you're not going to be doing rim shots if you're doing a 16th note drum fill. It's just not going to be humanly possible. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. In fact, yeah, when I first started, I would want to um, have like, let's say the one on my chorus, I would max out the velocities on everything, right? And it's like for the last chorus, the really heavy chorus, I would max out the velocity on every snare hit. And you're right. What I found was like, it never quite sounded right. It's actually a bit of a case of less is more where now I, I almost never have a velocity that's 127. Um, I try to keep my maximum velocities around 115, 120 or so. And that's because, again, a real drummer, when they record those samples, I mean, it depends on your sample library a little right. bit. Like, I love what you said about that one where, like, for that specific one, they had the drummer doing rim shots for those hardest velocity hits. But in 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 most of these sample libraries, they're, for that highest velocity level, they're really having the drummer hit the drums unnaturally hard. You got to picture a drummer sitting there and just hitting a snare drum as hard as he can. Like, nobody plays drums like that, and it's going to sound weird. And I, I definitely ruined some songs. Mm-hmm. I go back and listen to them, and I'm like, that snare is just doesn't sound real. It sounds like a sample. Right. And beyond <laughs> it sounding fake or like a sample, the reason why it sounds not realistic is because that tone of a rim shot is different than the snare of just a really hard hit. And similarly with the kick drum, I remember watching a video where uh, Nolly, um, Nolly Get Good was giving a tutorial of their uh, Get Good drum libraries and saying like how they program things and, and some tips and tricks. I don't know if it's the same with other libraries like Superior Drummer or um, what what's some others that are out there, TuneTrack. Um, yeah, TuneTrack is a Superior Drummer. That's the one I use. Okay. I don't know if it's the same with that or with other libraries out there, but he was saying that that the hardest kick drum velocity uh, he recommends not using very often, if at all, because what's actually happening there is the drummer is, you know, hitting that kick drum with all of his energy and he's making the beater forcibly stick to that kick drum head. And essentially what that does is it mutes the tone of the drum reverberating because the beater sticks against it. So wow. all the velocities below that, what's actually happening is, because a, a good drummer, I'm not a good drummer, I'm an okay drummer, <laughs> but a good drummer, when he's hitting that that kick drum beater, the beater contacts the head and then bounces off. And when that happens, gotcha. it allows the kick drum to reverberate. So that's where you get all the the sub bass and that nice warm round bass tone out of the kick drum that's it takes time for that to evolve and if you're doing just the heaviest velocity all the time you're really 
kind of choking out the drum and not allowing that sub velocity to evolve. And it just sounds like a whole bunch of, you know, beater attack and not sub. So you actually get more, Yeah. you get a nicer low end from less velocity. And I think the same is true of snare hits. Yeah, I love that. So that's a good, yeah, it's your point there was know your virtual instrument. And those are some of the little nuances that, um, that are worth knowing for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to play a little example here of this is, um, this is just a MIDI file I recorded using like an electronic kit. It's just a little beat. Play it. So I recorded this and just looped it a bunch. All right. And then I, the, this is where MIDI gets really cool is first of all, I can move those notes around and change them, but I can also take that same MIDI file and use it to drive a real drum kit. Nice. It sounds a little wonky because it's a little, again, robotic, but I can do that. I can even, I just for, for giggles, I put it on a piano too, just like a, a cheap piano virtual instrument. <laughs> but it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. I think when we were talking offline, I think you mentioned this, is that sometimes you'll like have either like the wrong a wrong instrument you selected the wrong virtual instrument and all but you'll you'll get something really cool that you weren't expecting and um that is part of my my midi workflow for things like synths where if i'm programming a synth part i'll typically i'll play it on my midi controller and then i'll tweak in the piano roll i'll manually go in and tweak some timing and some notes if there's some note issues if i made some mistakes then i will start playing back the track and I will actually go through and cycle through different synth tones through different virtual instruments to see which one complements the track the most. Once I'm so I'm already satisfied with my MIDI performance. Now I'm just kind of selecting the the virtual instrument that works for me. Do you do something similar for synths? I basically do it the same exact way. Um, a lot of times I have I have a songwriting template. So I have normally a keyboard a synth and some kind of like effects thing or a pad and okay so like a keyboard a synth and then maybe like a big lead um and so i'll cycle between those two or i'll write the part on that and then normally like i'll do the fine tuning adjustments after the fact or maybe i'll go in and play with the synth or change the sound or some parameters on it so that's that's normally my workflow. I just try to set myself up for success um, as far as getting stuff down quickly so I can focus on being creative instead of messing around with t- too, much of, too much of the learning. I try to separate the, you know, if I'm going to go in and really learn a synth, like I pick like, you know, a block of two hours where I can just play around and figure out things versus if I'm actually trying to work on something, then... I don't want to waste a whole bunch of time learning a new synth or stuff like that. I try to 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 split those two different things um, into different time slots. Yeah, absolutely. And this this goes to our next workflow topic here, which is what to do with those MIDI files and virtual instruments. I mean, especially for like pop productions or electronic productions, you may find yourself with a bunch of these MIDI files and a bunch of virtual instruments. One of the downsides of virtual instruments, it's they're pretty intensive on your CPU and your RAM. You got to think about the computers, trying to 
feed MIDI files into virtual instruments, trigger audio. So a good thing to do both to help your computer performance, but also to help you commit, like we talked about committing to guitar tones in previous episodes, is when you're ready to start mixing, bounce those virtual instruments into audio files. So mm-hmm. you take your virtual instrument, you create a new audio file, and actually record that virtual instrument as an audio file, and then either you know save your session as a new session and delete those MIDI files, or in Pro Tools, you can right-click and make them inactive, which basically takes them offline. You can still see them, but they're kind of grayed out. And then now you're working with audio. And again, what you've done is you've you've committed, which means you're not going to be tempted to open up that virtual instrument. I'm like, what if I what if I tweak this LFO a little bit? Is it gonna, you know, you can drive yeah. yourself crazy with those types of things. And also, it just takes some stress off of your uh, your computer. Yeah, good point. Um, in Studio One, they have something called freeze audio, where you can bounce the MIDI down mm-hmm. to audio, and then it will freeze the MIDI track and uh, mute it. And then from that point, your virtual instrument's still active, but what I do is I go in and deactivate that plugin, so that frees up all of that CPU usage. So I don't normally worry about that until I get into like three, four, or more MIDI instruments at a time, because a lot of time my CPU can handle that, but if I'm doing like a synth-heavy track and there's like 10 MIDI instruments, then at that point, like I have to, or else my computer is going to be you know, sputtering out. Yeah, that's a good point. Pro Tools has a similar function, like a freeze track function that, um, that'll do a similar thing. Um, so yeah, some other great uses where I, where I use MIDI all the time. One that we've talked about is coming up with vocal harmonies. So a lot of times when we're done, if I have a vocalist in here and we're recording vocals, I will use the MIDI controller to kind of pick out the main vocal melody and then using the piano roll or using the MIDI controller, I can come up with harmony parts um, and program them with just like a little cheesy choir synth and play them back for the vocalists. And sometimes the vocalist even wants to hear that synth part back in their headphones while they're singing the harmony parts. It's very helpful because a lot of times vocalists have a hard time coming up with their own harmonies. If like, you know, the, the main right. melody is too ingrained in their heads. They can't easily sing off of that. So this is a good way to come up with some unique harmonies. Another thing I use it for all the time is towards the end of the production process, just to fill in gaps. I'll uh, program some quick synth parts or even just trigger some interesting percussive sounds that just help spice things up. It's the little salt and pepper at the end of the, the meal preparation. Let's talk about vocals a little bit more because that's a great application for MIDI. Um, One, because it's so easy to visually see where you can place harmonies. So I love your example of, and I I do this a lot of times too, where let's say a vocalist comes in and wants to record something, but he's not even thought of any harmonies or only has one harmony part and we need a big chorus. So um, I might write out that vocal melody and then i can see in the piano roll all the notes that are being hit in that vocal melody so then it's as simple as all you have to do is highlight everything copy paste it and then just drag that new selection up a whole step or up two whole steps and then 
play it back and see if, you know, using a cheesy choir synth or something, play it back and see if it sounds pleasant. Um, and if there are some notes that clash too much, then you can just click on each individual note and adjust it. And that's, that's an easy way to come up with some unique and interesting harmonies that you might not ever be able to come up with on your own because they're too hard to sing because they're too close in right. proximity to the main melody. Yeah, absolutely. I love doing that. I've even, I was working on like a track that had like um, some acapella background vocals and that's how I did it. I basically built all these harmonies and then I had my wife who's a singer. I just had her do one at a time. I was like, here's this one. She would listen to it a bit, learn it, sing it. I was like, all right, here's the next one. And when we were done and we played back, it was like really cool because now it was all her voice with all these interesting harmonies that, like you said, we would have never thought of because they're just, I can't sing <laughs> with yeah. the damn. And for her, it's just difficult to to think like that sometimes. Yeah. So I, lo I love doing that kind of a thing. Um, did you have some other examples you wanted to talk about with different instruments? Um, yeah, I, I guess I've even used, I did a project recently where I programmed some violin parts and I find with stringed instruments, MIDI is a bit it's, again, it's not MIDI, it's really the virtual instruments, but in some sense, it's also the, the way information is communicated in MIDI. Something like a guitar as a main guitar part is difficult to mm -hmm. do using MIDI just because of the mechanics of how you play the instrument. And so I've had mixed success with strings, uh, strings being like violins and cellos. If it's a very subdued part where the string is just kind of very atmospheric, I've found that I can tuck that in and make it sound like a real cello but or a real violin. But if it's a very kind of key part, if it's the quote-unquote the voice of the part, you know, the main section of that uh, or the focal point of that song section, it starts to get into a gray area. And sometimes I prefer to actually get like send that part to a violinist and be like, hey, can you record this for me and uh, yeah. send me back the audio? So what's what's been your experience? What, where kind of Where's the limit? I agree with that. It all comes down to, if you think about, it's helpful to think about the mechanics of what's happening. So, um, like we talked about with the drum sample libraries, they're actually taking, and it depends on your library, but a lot of times, especially with the newer ones and the higher quality ones, they're actually taking samples of a real drummer in a studio playing the parts at different velocity. So if you think about that, then... What you're trying to communicate using your MIDI controller uh, in veloc through velocities, sustains, and your, your piano roll is, you know, what sample is going to be re-triggered based off of the velocity that I play. So in the same way with violin and string parts, I feel like a lot of it depends on the quality and the in-depthness of the virtual instrument library that you have. So if you're using, and I have a couple different string libraries in my computer. Um, so the one that came with Studio One has like a simple synthy uh, violin uh, type of pad. And it's only one, it's only one violin type of technique. It's this long bowed type of thing. So it tends to only sound good if I'm playing chords like a pad. Because mm -hmm. if you think about right. if you think about what's happening is that sample was taken of a violinist 
who's holding out a note long and just bowing it. So it's not going to sound good if you're trying to program a part that's very staccato and has a lot of attack and transient and is aggressive because the performance that they captured in the sample isn't the same. Now, with other libraries that I have, um, they have different type of performances that you can select from from the strings. So they have a pizzicato type of violin part that is them plucking on the strings. So whenever I'm programming through the MIDI, it sounds like they're plucking. I would never be able to get that sound out of my other virtual instrument because it's a long bow. It doesn't matter how short of an attack that I make on that MIDI. Like I could press the key really quickly and let up, but the the sample that it's capturing from is still that long bow. So it's just going to sound like a very short long bow instead of a pluck. So it depends on how in-depth the MIDI instrument is, or I'm sorry, not the MIDI instrument, the virtual instrument is in and of itself. Yes, I completely agree with you. I, I have, um, in fact, I have like a, the, there's a stock upright bass virtual instrument that comes with Pro Tools that I actually love and use all the time. And one of the things it has is actually little bits of finger noise in between notes. And if you program it right, it sounds very, very good. Uh, but for things like electric guitars, there may be good virtual instruments out there. Um, What's that one called? Oblivion or Obsidian? I, yeah, I don't know. There, there's definitely some out there, but I... um. It's tricky. Again, it depends on what you're trying to do. But if you think about the mechanics of playing a guitar, when you slide, there's the finger noise, the way you bend a note. There's so much variation. You really need a virtual instrument that has, first of all, enough different types of sound that it can interpret. You know, it has to have a string bend for every type, you know, for every string and every every type of bend you can think of. Um, and then that has to be kind of, has to have enough of those to have variation and also for them to be consistent enough to work back to back with the previous thing and the thing that comes after it and sound like a natural guitar performance. Those are the things that, again, I, my experience with them is limited because I usually just play the guitar part myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I would think it would be harder to fake a convincing guitar solo yeah. than it is to fake a convincing drum solo. Because again, like you said, drums are transients and it is pretty easy to trigger transients of good samples. These these um, transient, uh, yeah, these uh, transient sounds like drum samples trigger real recorded drums and have that sound like a convincing performance than it is for something like a guitar solo. I completely agree. The only time I'll use um, there, I mean, there are some good guitar type things out there, um, but normally the only time I use stuff like that is maybe in a loop setting where it's already previously recorded a loop or I'll just take the cheesy sounding guitar and I know it sounds cheesy and I'll put a weird effect on it. And the whole point of it is right. to sound weird and cheesy. And then the main, maybe then the main guitar comes in or something like that. Just know the limits, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Yeah. I will mention like that. I have this, this note for uh, programming parts you can't quite play. Um, I do this a lot where I'll program like a Rhodes solo or something like that. And I kind of, 
I kind of half-ass it, but then I'll go in and like put in more notes than I actually recorded and make it sound a little fuller and a little more complex, mm. something that I may not be able to pull off live, but I can pull it off using MIDI with kind of a combination, like a hybrid approach of playing it, but then also like drawing a couple of notes in, a couple of extra notes, sneaking them in there. Are you talking about f- for all virtual instruments or any one in particular? I tend to do this a lot with like keyboard solos, synth solos, mm. or like if I, you know, if I have something like a Rhodes, I love that Rhodes sound for certain types of music, uh, Rhodes piano. So a lot of times I'll, um, I'll program things that are more complex than I'd be able to play live. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Sometimes I've had, um, I have a couple good choir libraries on my computer. So sometimes I've had success with using a virtual instrument as backing vocals instead of having the vocalist do a whole bunch of backing tracks. And it depends because mm. you've got to like find the right song to be able to fit it in and it not, and it not sounds so out of place, but it can be done. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Like the, um, even the default choir sounds and pro tools, they have like an ooh sound and an ah sound. Right. And they, uh, yeah, you can definitely make them. I could see that. I could see them being convincing in a certain in a certain setting, where they're just tucked in, kind of humming in the background for some harmony parts. I could see that working for sure. Yeah, that's a pretty good deep dive on MIDI. I don't know if I have anything else. Um, cool. That I can add to that. What else did you have for us, Vadim? No, I think I think that's about it. I guess I would en- I would encourage you if you're listening to this, if you've never played around with MIDI, don't be don't have the first thing you do be go shop for a MIDI controller. <laughs> if you have a keyboard, see if it has a USB output. If it does, it can almost certainly be used as a MIDI controller. So you want to just plug that into your computer and then in your DAW, there's probably like an input devices section or even a MIDI section. You should be able to um, select that device as a controller and then play around with it. Most DOS come with virtual instruments and you can uh, at least start playing around with the concept of MIDI. And then as Ben said, then your your money is is better spent on some kind of instrument libraries that you can use to uh, to trigger certain things. There's a lot of really fancy ones out there. And these these libraries tend to be really large, especially the good ones. They, you know, they can be gigabytes, mm-hmm. uh, many gigabytes in size because you know, high quality samples and a large uh, number of them. Yeah, and one um, one last note from me about MIDI, uh, and I've mentioned this in other episodes before about songwriting workflow, but I love using MIDI as a songwriting tool either to, because I'm, I'm primarily writing on guitar, um, but I love using it in a sense of like, I'll pick some synth that sounds really guitar lead-esque or something along those lines. And I'll try to come up with a riff on keyboard because a lot of times the intervals you can do on keyboard are very different than things you can do on guitar or Hmm. um a lot of times like it's kind of funny like my songwriting workflow because a lot of times like i'll be like i'm gonna write a really cool edm song or i'm gonna write a really cool like electronic sounding tune and i always wind up thinking at the end of it man, this is really cool. I wonder what it would sound like with real drums and a guitar. And then I record it and it's always cooler. <laughs> yeah, man. That, I think that says, yeah, that says something about 
you and uh, what kind of music you gravitate towards. I do the same thing. I'll like program a beat and I'll be like, this will sound good as a gen song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want detuned guitars. Yeah. It's very inexpensive though. Like, um, like Vadim said, you know, if you have a keyboard on hand already, see if you can get it to work. But those MPK minis, they're only like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I bought that because my, my bigger synth is kind of off to my right. And I was really, it was just an ergonomic problem for me to, uh, turn 90 degrees to the right and like strain my back to play these parts. And I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. So I bought the <laughs> MPK mini cause it just fits, it fits right on my desk. It's very unobstructive. And like you said, it's, it's short, so it's hard to do two handed parts on it, mm-hmm. but for most things, I, you know, it works. Mm-hmm. Especially the little drum pads on it, which you can you can also map controllers. And actually, this is what um maybe I'll end my my part on this is that I set like I set up my finger pads to map to the drums I most commonly want to program with my fingers. So I have like two keys next to each other, both triggered kicks. So I can do like double kick stuff. And then I have the snare above it. So it's it's like ergonomic for me to play. You can map your MIDI controllers different ways. And uh, before offline, when we were, before we started recording, I sent you a video, which I'll post in the group, of this guy named Sidebrain who does a lot of uh, programming with um, Ableton Live. And he helps other artists uh, kind of incorporate Ableton Live into their live shows. He has these videos where he teaches you how to make MIDI controllers out of video game controllers. And the video I sent to Ben is him using a modded Nintendo controller as a MIDI controller. So if you remember those Nintendo controllers, they have only eight buttons on them. And he's just like playing a riff live using this Nintendo controller. And it's, it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's very awesome. Yeah. Maybe you should post that in the show notes or in the, in the group. That would be fun. I will. I'm going to post it in the group for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, we hope that you guys have learned something about MIDI. And um, if you've never used it before, maybe this can be the little nudge that pushes you off uh, the edge of the cliff into the vast sea of MIDI. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And comment in the group. Let us know how you use MIDI or what your experience with it has been so far. If you have some really creative uses for it, let us know that as well. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us. All right, guys. And as always, uh, as we say in the group, um, Make sure that you check yourself before you wreck yourself. Have a good one. Make sure you feel good there, man. You always say it. You always say it at the beginning of the other. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's work out at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. We'll see you next week.